0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey there, Tech Stuff listeners. This is Jonathan Strickland, and I've got a request for all of you. Now, Chris and I have decided that we're going to try an experiment. We're doing our first crowdsourced episode of Tech Stuff, and we want to know what your pick is for the worst video game of all time. Now, nominations you can you can make one nomination you nominate one game and you need to tell us the name of the game and the platform it was on and it could be any platform it could be an arcade game it could be a PC Mac uh, Xbox ps3 Nintendo handheld console it can be web-based if you like but just you let us know what the platform is so we can make sure we count that as the votes so you can nominate your game either through email which is tech stuff at HowStuffWorks.com, or you can nominate through Twitter or Facebook. And we're going to put a a cutoff date on this. I, I want to have the episode go up by the end of September of 2011. So let's say you need to get your nominations in by September 8th, 2011, So if you get those nominations into us, we will make sure we include those in the process and we will have an episode where we give you the worst video games of all time based upon the votes of our listeners. Thanks a lot. Can't wait to hear from you.
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Uh, you know, originally we were talking about the possibility of doing an eBooks podcast, and then we realized we've done an ebooks podcast but we really haven't talked about a lot of the developments in publishing since then
0: that's right and uh, and we had some listeners on google plus so here's a a little note from google plus and john and paul very biblical fellows i suppose gave or us very a very beetle
1: fellows Or very
0: beetle fellows perhaps so but both john and paul had asked that we uh, talk about ebooks and e-publishing. Uh, John was very insistent. Uh, by the way, John, we do have an episode on e-books, which I had completely forgotten about. Um, I believe Chris did as well. And yep. we just uh, this morning, as I was as I was looking at my notes, I realized, wait a minute, this sounds really familiar. And sure enough, we have done one. But yeah, we wanted to talk about sort of the back end, not from a technological perspective so much as from sort of a, a business perspective uh, about uh, publishing, what publishers do. And how that's starting to change in the ebook era. Yeah. So I guess first we should just start talking about what publishers do. Okay.
1: Yeah, that, that's actually a good question. Uh, especially because a lot of the, the uh, discussions I've read recently, uh, and when I say recently, I would guess probably, I think I'm thinking about probably the last year. Ah, uh, because ebooks have become a lot more popular, oh, yeah. Uh, you see uh, news reports from Amazon that they are outselling paperbacks now. Yeah.
0: I think it was a uh, like for every one hundred paperbacks Amazon sold, they'd sell one hundred and fifteen ebooks. So it's already matched and outpaced the uh, the dead tree version of
1: of uh, books, yep. Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of, in a lot of cases, the electronic version of the book costs close to, if not as much as or in some cases, more than. Um, the, uh, the price of a paper book or p book, as I like to call them. Mm -hmm. Um, and people go, what the heck is going on here? If this is just bits and bytes, it doesn't take up any floor space. You don't have to design uh, a special cover for it. Um, you know, what are the publishers doing? What is the point of this? Yeah. And then you, you have to realize, That they actually do quite a bit. Yeah. So let's, let's look at it from, uh, let's, let's take electronic
0: publishing out of the picture right now and just talk talk about about publishers and what they do. Okay. Uh, from a traditional standpoint. So traditionally, what a publisher would do is, uh, you, you have, you have your authors. These are the people who are creating work, right? Mm -hmm. They're, then you've got editors who are editing the work, making sure it, it, it's, uh, um, Worthy of publication, right? Now the publisher is the the entity that takes that work and produces it in a mass production uh, kind of way, and then so that they're into production, they're into distribution in that they uh, find buyers that buy up uh, y- several units of books all at once. Mm-hmm. So bookstores really is what we're talking about here, right? Publishers look for bookstores outlets to sell these. So the the publishers' customers are really bookstores. They're not really readers. Like, you and I aren't, aren't a typical customer of a publisher. Right. But rather a a Barnes and Noble or until recently a Borders would be a customer of a publisher. Right. So, uh, the publisher's job is to create, to, to produce the, the physical copies of this work, to send it to the various, or, or actually sell it to the various, uh, bookstores out there, vendors out there. Um, for a price it's usually about half of what the list price is for the book
1: although your mileage may vary it's going to depend on a lot of conditions
0: yeah so th- let's say like the the price that's actually on the cover of the book mm-hmm. we're oversimplifying here but in general the wholesale price that the publisher sells to the bookstore is about 50% of that and then uh, uh a certain percentage of that goes to overhead some of it goes to uh, covering the cost of paying the advance to the author and also you have to keep in mind that bookstores don't sell every single copy of every book right so occasionally bookstores have to send back copies of books they don't sell to the publisher um, in order to make up room for uh, new books right so that means that not everything the publisher, Sends out is actually going to get sold. Some of it's going to come back. So there are a lot of costs here. And also a publisher's other job is to market the authors, to get the word out about authors and to drive up interest about authors. So that's one of the things publishers theoretically will do for their, for the people who write for them.
1: Yeah. In a way, in that way, I would say, um, when you said a few minutes ago that, uh, that the, uh, reader is not the end customer of the publisher. I would say that's, that's mostly the case. But in, in some ways, I mean, it is their responsibility to do a lot of the marketing work. And so, you know, th- yeah, they are in touch with the reader and they, they do that as a small portion of that. But
0: yeah. and, they're and, really
1: trying to help the bookstore. Sell books so that both the bookstore and the publisher win out.
0: And you can buy books. Author. You can buy books directly from the publisher, but in general, that tends to be a very small number yeah. of sales compared to book sales through uh, stores. Yeah. And so, uh, you also have another responsibility of publishers, which is kind of interesting, and this is an important one that uh, is going to be uh, have a, a pretty big impact with the electronic publishing. Uh, uh, Era as well, mm-hmm. and that is that uh, publishers are responsible for finding new talent. Right. It's kind of like the music industry when you think of like a, a music label going out and look going to local venues and and scouting out bands and saying you know this band actually has some promise and they might not make it big for an album or two but I really see something in them. Mm-hmm. Publishers do the same thing with authors. Now, when an author writes a book, uh, the author gen generally gets an advance on that book, and that advance is a, a royalties advance. It's it's actually counted against whatever royalties that author would make through book sales. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of authors, especially first-time authors, will not make that money back through book sales. They, they just aren't well-known enough, so they, they won't get enough books sold to pay off that advance. So a lot of publishers are essentially paying authors at a loss, um, lots of new authors at a loss. But they're doing it by – they're betting – what they're betting is that some of those authors are going to make it to the big time. Mm-hmm. And those authors are going to sell lots and lots and lots of books, and that will help offset the cost of paying all these other low-level authors who may not go anywhere that advance. So in a way, publishers are responsible for encouraging and and sustaining Uh, authors who are trying to really make it in the publishing world and trying to actually become published authors Mm -hmm. Uh, without them then you would have you know you wouldn't have that that incentive really for authors to try and create so when you think about things like oh well Stephen King man he gets so much money for a book you know you could have some envy there perhaps you might Question whether or not it's it, the the work he does is worth the amount of money he makes, but at the same time, because Stephen King novels sell so well, that's part of what funds the publisher to uh, to encourage other authors to write. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of it's a really big ecosystem, and it's actually pretty complex. I mean, the actual complexity of how much money comes back to the publisher and where that money goes. Uh, is probably too complex for the purposes of this podcast, but I thought that it was important that we talk about that and then we talk about how e publishing is kind of shaking things up a bit or Mm -hmm. more than a bit in some cases.
1: Well, you talked about, um, the music industry and how, how things have changed significantly, how the, the music industry has been nervous because, uh, you know, for one, on, on the one hand, they're concerned about things like piracy. Yeah. But they're also concerned because, um, people are able to uh create their own home studios and record their own music and post it for sale on their own website because they don't have to worry about um uh, the costs of pressing CDs or vinyl anymore although a lot of them do yeah um and uh you know the distribution is you know less of an issue now because uh you know once the uh, marketing has gone out online Uh, rather than having to put up posters in stores and do, you know, uh, different events and things like that, you know, those are important, but, uh, a lot of bands can do a lot of that work themselves. Right. And so, you know, this has already been going on in the music industry, but, um, you know, this hasn't been so much of an issue for publishers until just recently. Right. Right. Um, you know, and I I didn't I don't think we even touched on this when we talked about e-readers before. I don't even think about the e-books world going back that far, but it does go back to around 1971 mm. um when Michael Hart started Project Gutenberg. And uh, you know, they the first person who got a, an ISBN, that's an international standard book number, it's a unique number assigned to every book, um was Kim Blagg um around 1998. So these some people have been publishing uh, electronically for a while. I mean, Random House and HarperCollins, who are two big uh, regular publishers, P and E, Yeah. Um, you know, they were starting to sell digital in 2002. Um, and that was all before the, the Kindle hit in 2007.
0: Well, yeah. And if you think about it, you know, there are a lot of computers you would buy that would come with an Encarta CD. Yeah. Well, that's that's a digital encyclopedia. Yes. You know, yes. that's mm-hmm. you know, just because it comes on a solid form of medium uh, media rather uh, that 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 doesn't mean that it's not digital.
1: It is digital. It's just that it's digital stored on a, a disk. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, the e-publishing world is is starting to shake up now. I mean, it's no secret that publishing has been having uh, problems in the last few years anyway, especially with the economic downturn. Yeah. Um, I've read that the closing of border stores here in the United States, um, that's going to create problems for traditional publishing too because – they could no longer count on uh, the sales to come from the the store. It's um, if you're unfamiliar with this the situation here, um, Barnes and Noble and Borders and you know some of the other major public um, sorry booksellers like uh, Books a Million. Yep. um Basically, were um, credited with. I hate to say credited with the um, the closing of a lot of. Local bookshops right. across the United States over the past what would you say probably twenty years or so. Yeah, I
0: think something like like the I I had the number in front of me at one point, but it was you know the 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 number of of independent little bookstores had uh, decreased dramatically, like by more than fifty percent, uh, because partially at least uh, due to these these big big bookstores that uh, could uh, just take away their business
1: yeah i mean um, there are some that are big enough people like powell's in, in uh portland oregon and the strand up in the uh new york city area um that are that are big enough to hold their own but a lot of the smaller stores had had dropped out of the the uh picture there for a while and, yeah
0: i've got the number now mm-hmm. so uh according to a an article in the new yorker um, uh, actually, the American Booksellers Association said the number of independent booksellers declined from 3,250 to 1,400 since 1999. OK, then. So
1: that's you know, more than 50 percent. And I read an article about the closing of Borders that said that publishers are going to have to cut their print runs because they no longer have border stores to help them distribute their books to readers. Right. Um, and that's causing more turmoil. And now with the popularity of e-readers surging and the ability of people to do things, to publish on their own, this is going to to cause things to shake up even further. And um, Lion, the new version of the Apple operating system, some of you have written in that you want a, a podcast on it. We need to talk about the possibility of doing that and possibly Windows 8. Mm-hmm. The Lion offers people the ability to publish EPUB documents um Uh, You know, from different lion documents so uh, you know it's not it's built into the operating system I wouldn't be surprised to see that coming to other operating systems too in the future which just makes it that much easier to publish your own ebooks
0: yeah which can create another problem that we'll get into in a little bit but before we do that I wanted to talk a little more about some of the other problems that the publishing industry faces which is that you've got some major major companies that have not traditionally been publishers getting into the publishing game that's true and one of the biggest is Amazon Amazon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, you know, Amazon and e-readers, that, those two terms go very well together because we are all familiar with the Amazon Kindle, which revolutionized the electronic publishing industry.
1: Yeah, there were a couple uh, e-book readers before. Um, I first became acquainted with uh, Rocket eBook and Softbook back mm-hmm. around 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were really expensive and there just weren't a lot of books at the time.
0: Right. Uh, Amazon's uh, plan was to create this electronic book reader and also they the, the company was incredibly intelligent in that they uh, created apps for various other platforms that could also read the uh, the electronic book format that the Kindle uses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, another thing to, to point out is that we don't have a single standard for electronic books. That's correct. There are several different electronic book formats out in the wild and one of the the really popular ones, is the Kindle format.
1: Yes, Um, Not AZW.
0: And I think a lot of people like that format simply because since they have apps on various other platforms and uh, they can read it on a computer, they can read it on a smartphone, they can read it on their Kindle, um, that sort of of, uh, utility is a very high selling point. Although some other companies, like Apple, have done a lot to try and undermine that. Uh, in some ways, with their own policies. We'll get into that as well because that also Mm -hmm. plays a role in publishing. So what makes publishers a little nervous or really a little nervous is being kind, really scared of Amazon. Uh, One of the things was that Amazon for a while was really adamant about dictating what the price was going to be for an electronic book. Mm -hmm. And Amazon's decision was that it was going to be $9.99 for a new release, uh, which – uh, publishers were not thrilled about. They did not like the idea of an, a vendor being able to say that this is what the price of eBooks needs to be, because it meant that if that got into the minds of the consumers, that people would expect all electronic books from that point forward to cost that
1: much. Right. You know. So it's reasonable.
0: Right. Right. It's like just like if you were to get something for free for several years and then find out that you have to pay for it, there's going to be that reaction of. Wait what just last week I got this for free why are you making me pay for it now same sort of things like wait what I just bought that book for 10 bucks last week why are you asking for 16 bucks now I'm sorry I was
1: seeing pictures of the New York Times in my head
0: yeah um <laughs> so so what Amazon was doing was actually pretty interesting it yeah it was it was kind of uh, Amazon does some pretty risky moves and what this move what Amazon was doing was they were the company was buying books. Just like any other bookstore, like even digital copies, it was buying digital copies of books, just like any other bookstore, mm-hmm. paying the the uh, the wholesale amount to the publisher, and then that wholesale amount might actually be more than nine dollars and ninety nine cents. But Amazon would just turn around and sell it for $9.99, meaning that they're taking a loss on the sale. Yep. But they're doing it in order to build up that market share, to, to attract consumers to using the Kindle platform and purchasing books through the Amazon electronic bookstore. And if they could hook enough people doing that and they do it by selling books cheaper than any other vendor is going to sell it because no, most other vendors can't afford to cut the – uh the price that much and take a loss in every single unit sold. Right. Amazon can. Uh the but the idea was that maybe Amazon could eventually get what effectively would amount to a monopoly on the electronic books market. Mm -hmm. And uh you know uh the publishers did not like this at all and in fact we really saw this come to a head when uh Steve Jobs announced the iPad and iBooks. Yes. Because then you saw five out of the six major publishers sign on immediately with Apple to provide books to the iBooks library and the price was no longer limited to $9.99. However, Steve Jobs was very firm in that it would not go over – I think it was fourteen ninety nine per book.
1: Yeah, they uh, – they it's a, a different pricing model and the publishers mm-hmm. are getting a bigger cut. Right. Um And there's an
0: agency fee that that Apple gets out of it.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, about uh, 30% actually. Um, So uh, the thing is with all of this that uh, you may be saying, well, you know, so what is all this this price? It goes to all those people we were talking about before, the editors, the publicists. Um, There's not the cost of printing or distribution. Um, I mean, yeah, this completely falls under and and it's – you know, we use this a lot, the long tail that Chris yeah. Anderson talked about because, um, books never have ebooks never have to go out of print. Yeah. They, they can be there, you know, taking up whatever space they're taking up on the right. hard drive right. forever. Right. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. As long as you have a, a, uh, a, a good program that can take a master copy and create a user copy from that master copy that makes that user copy unique in some way because almost every single form of, uh, of, of, uh, uh ebook file format that the major publishers want to use will have some form of DRM on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, to,
0: to try and prevent piracy.
1: Yes, as a matter of fact when the uh uh the book sale goes through, um there's a little bit of metadata that's encoded in that file that keys it to you. So, you know, it it's it, that's how people know on some digital files that they have been corrupted is because that information is still embedded in there some yeah. way and the, you know they've been cracked. And, uh, it is possible, but you know, they, they, that's how, if you open a book on your e reader, um, yeah, we were talking about, uh, the different readers. We didn't talk about the nook. Right. That was one of the features of the nook was you're able to lend a book to a friend with another nook. So, um, the DRM says, well, Hey, this is, uh, this is Jonathan's file. Um, and Jonathan, you know, allows me to read it and I get the Three weeks, I believe it is, on the Nook. Was it? I thought it was two. But it, it may might be two. Three. Well, however long it is.
0: Yeah, it's, it's authorized period. for a specific set period, and after that period, uh, the book is no longer available on the other device. And also, I think during that time... The owner of the book cannot read the book. That's correct. Right? right, right. So it's almost like it's a physical book in the sense that if I lent Chris a physical copy of a book I have, I could not read that physical copy unless I came over to Chris's house and stood behind him and looked over his shoulder. And trust me, he
1: hates that.
0: So, uh, not, never s- again. Knock yeah. is all I'm saying. You get stabbed in the thigh once with a fork, and you do not need to tell me twice, mister.
1: <laughs> so, but yeah, that's all done through DRM. Yeah. And, and so. You know there there are costs associated with doing this and yep. you know sure. that, that's why they're they're trying to recoup those costs they're trying to make a profit because a lot of these are public companies
0: and also their business was built around a different model and to completely shift everything over you could argue that the electronic model is much more efficient and therefore your costs would decrease dramatically and therefore you would be able to make uh uh, as good or better a profit, even if you cut your prices just because your costs are lower. But you have to remember, you're talking about revolutionizing an entire industry, which is not something that's simple to do. Um, and also, there is still a demand for printed books. There's not like that. It's not like the demand for printed books is completely vanished. No, it's so you have to balance that out. Like how much focus do you put towards your electronic publishing uh uh arm of your company versus your physical publishing. Mm -hmm. But uh, but also just to get back to Amazon for a second. Another reason why publishers get really scared about Amazon is that Amazon has the potential to become a publisher Mm -hmm. in that there is very little stopping Amazon. In fact, Amazon's been talking about doing this uh, from having courting writers to write directly for Amazon. So a writer writes a book and then Amazon acts as both the publisher and the vendor. This could theoretically be a very beneficial uh, uh, relationship for the author because mm-hmm. authors, if you if you take the advance out, like let's say that this would really change publishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the advance is the big deal for authors right now, and if you are just starting out, that advance is your lifeblood because you may not sell enough books to have made that much money otherwise. Now, with Amazon's model, you may not get an advance. Instead, Amazon's model might be you will get a 70% cut of every uh, every book we sell. So you'll make more money per book sold through Amazon, but you might not make more money total. Because the advance you would have received from a traditional publisher might have been more money than you would have made through selling books in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it, this is like a weird gamble here. And publishers are worried that perhaps authors could would think that uh, they're going to have a, a much more beneficial relationship through Amazon. So they're going to go there. Um, they're scared about that. They're scared that, uh, that Amazon will be able to undercut all the other sales of books. So that'll hurt sales even more. But... Uh, the publishers will also counter with saying Amazon doesn't really know how to work with authors. Mm -hmm. Like the, the relationship between authors and publishers is different than between uh, authors and a direct, like a vendor. Right. And that Amazon isn't the kind of company that can take time to talk to a new author and, and kind of discuss with the new author things and, and to, uh, to adjust deadlines. That was a big thing because mm-hmm. writers sometimes don't make deadlines. Hee, 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 Mr. <laughs> Editor. And um,
1: and so – I'm meaning to talk to you about that.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm a little behind. But the uh, – No, you're a big behind. Yeah, I know that too. Well, I like big butts and I cannot lie. The, um, But yeah, the the – Amazon may not be able to take that time and effort to speak with an author the way a publisher could. So there's – There are a lot of trade-offs that we're talking about here. And where this is going to go is anyone's guess. Although, based upon the trends, I would say electronic publishing is is just going to continue to become increasingly important. So we may see more authors move to using a platform like Amazon as their publisher. Uh, This also pulls into question things like monopolies. Would Amazon's writers, would their works be sold on any other – like through any other bookseller, or would they just be available through Amazon?
1: Do not pass go. Do not collect $200.
0: Yeah, this gets this yeah. gets really complex. Uh, and,
1: and honestly, we don't have all the answers yet. And speaking of complex and monopolies, it probably is worthwhile to mention some of the controversies that have gone on around the e-publishing model, including the recent, uh, as of the time of recording this in mid-August 2011, um, Apple telling Barnes and Noble and uh, Amazon that if they wanted to continue to sell books through their apps for the iPad, um, that they were going to have to fork over some money. So they
0: yeah thirty percent cut yep so they that's which is standard across all Apple like that's Apple's standard operating procedure is that any any app that sells something to the end user Apple gives a thirty percent cut of that yeah an in
1: app purchase yep Um, so. Uh, both of them pulled their sales link out. And of course, you could still buy a book directly from them and then upload it to your iPad if you want to do that. But, um, for and even, now. Even
0: that is a little complicated, I think,
1: because I think there was a discussion about Apple
0: saying that you could only upload titles from a Kindle app that you could also get through Apple Store.
1: Yeah, it's. Interesting. Yeah. And then they, uh, Amazon counted with their cloud reader application, right. which, uh, is an HTML5 reader that allows you to, uh, it's not actually an app. Um, it's actually a site that allows you to read your, your Amazon books without, um, going directly through Apple and the, the Kindle app. So, yeah. and everybody's been crowing about that in the last few days as of the time we're recording this. So, right. um, and I have to say it's, it was a pretty clever mover on that. Another, uh, big, uh, controversy has been around libraries mm-hmm. who uh, who work with a service called OverDrive, which for a long time was an audiobook service for libraries, public libraries to uh, you know for people to uh, listen to stuff. And basically, you download the book through a um, through a little app, and then you could listen to it. And this at the end of the uh, checkout period, um, the DRM in it would shut it out so that you can't use it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they began offering ebooks. Um, some libraries, like the library that I belong to, uh, does not have, has aud- overdrives audiobooks, but does not yet have the ebook, um, capabilities, but I've seen it in action. It's pretty cool. Mm. Thing is, um, one of the major publishers, HarperCollins said, um, that they wanted to limit the number of checkouts that you could use with an ebook to 26. And this caused a lot of library people to be very upset because um, again, there's no wear and tear on an ebook, yeah, but Harper Collins's point is, okay, but once a, a paper book has a, a certain number of checkouts, let's say about you know twenty six or so, it's the book is frayed, the binding is bad, um it's been beaten up, it's been left in someone's car, uh, you know, your kids spilled chocolate milk on it, it needs to be replaced with an ebook, we're not selling more than one copy. To you. Mm-hmm. You know, that one copy can be checked out indefinitely. Yeah. So um, a lot of people have been very upset about this. Um, the thing is, I could see both both sides. Once you bought a copy, hey, you know, you bought a copy. You should be able to check this out um, as many times as you want to because it's digital and it doesn't wear out. Yeah. At the same time, the publisher is not making anything past the original sale and a library would probably need to replace that copy, especially if it's a uh, popular book. So I could so see what do you do?
0: Yeah, I could see a consumer saying if this were the case with the consumer, I could say the consumer saying, hey, what if I take really good care of my books and I never need to replace them anyway, then you're telling me I'm being punished for using the electronic format. Uh, there's also the the concept of windowing, where a publisher will publish the hard copy of a book months Ahead of any electronic publishing. And Usually, this is done for two reasons. Well, three, really. One is that electronic books don't count toward bestseller lists.
1: They, well, it depends. Now, New York Times does have an ebook bestseller list, and they have a combined print and ebook bestseller list. Yeah. But not all of them do.
0: Right. There, there are a lot That's
1: of, a recent thing.
0: Yeah. There are a lot of bestseller lists that would only. Would only factor in hard copy sales. Yeah. Which means that, you know, publishers who want, who, who count on bestseller lists as being a, a marketing uh, ploy, they would not want to hurt the chances of a book getting on that bestseller list by also offering electronic copy. And then people buy the electronic copy, but don't buy the hard copy. And then the book doesn't get on the list. Uh, another was that they just were worried about cannibalizing the hardcover sales anyway, because the hardcovers tend to, cost more than the electronic ones. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the worry about piracy, although uh, we have seen with books that have either delayed electronic publication or not had any electronic publication at all show up as pirated electronic copies on various uh, peer-to-peer networks from people who have scanned
1: the books in. The flip side of that being people like um, uh, Cory Doctorow who have offered – their ebook version of their book immediately yep. for free. Yep. And uh, I think Neil Gaiman has also done that. I know that there are several authors who have arranged
0: it so that their books will publish in, in all formats simultaneously.
1: And uh, the thing is, when they've done a trial like that, uh, a lot of publishers have found that the ebook will actually spur sales of the print book yeah and i have done that i have downloaded the free ebook and i've mm-hmm. started reading it and i said well you know what i'd uh, this was before I had an iPad, so yeah. I was reading it on a computer, and I thought, you know what? I'm I'm enjoying the first few pages of this book. I'm going to go buy the print book, and I've done that two or three times.
0: Yeah, well, there's some things that are still easier to do with print books than than with electronic copies. I mean, it's just yes. you know that tactile experience, being able to put, sure. uh, you know, markers in your book. I mean, you can do that with a lot of the various electronic formats too, but it just it's still there's something psychologically that's just not the same with that. Um, mm-hmm. At any rate. The the whole system of publication is kind of in this turmoil right now, and we really yeah. really don't know how it's all going to shake out. It'll really we've got a lot of stubborn players with lots of uh, lots of clout out there, so it'll really depend on who shouts the loudest and shakes their fist the hardest, and who has the most leverage. And uh, hopefully, whatever happens will end up being good for authors and consumers. Yeah, I have. and also for Chris's benefit, yeah. editors.
1: <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I think the uh, the publishing industry has been a lot quicker to embrace e technology than the m- recording or the movie industry has. Definitely, either of those two. Yes, um, and and they've they've done so well. I think I think in general, everybody, the publishers and the technology providers and the readers have all made advances in working together to. To make this happen, There are just yeah. a lot of issues that have to be worked out, so that everybody is able to uh, coexist peacefully. Yeah, I have a or relatively peaceful. I would
0: imagine that that one of the developments we will eventually see will have to be some sort of antitrust uh, charges against Amazon, because even though there are other players in the electronic books market, I think Amazon's domination is uh, hard to hard to argue. Um, I know that iBooks, when it first launched, had a a really positive launch, had a lot of interest in it, but from what I understand, the iBooks sales are not comparable to Kindle sales, and I think part of that is, again, what we mentioned earlier in the podcast, which is the Kindle app just provides for a lot of uh, flexibility since you can read it on various devices Mm -hmm. and the, the, whereas the iBooks app is a little more limited and it works great if you have a lot of iOS devices, but if you've got other ones that you would like to read stuff on, uh, that's kind of, uh, you're out of luck if you're using iBooks. Yeah. Anyway, the, the situation is, uh, is changing dramatically and quickly, especially for uh industry like publication, which remained unchanged for decades uh, it was definitely one of those, those legacy type industries that, you know, it, the longer you stay the way you are, the harder it's going to be when you, when changes come. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of surprising to see how fast things are changing right now. We'll keep an eye on it and we'll probably do another podcast in the future once things kind of, uh, shake out a little bit more to see sort of the pathway that we took and why people chose the, the, you know, the different ways to get to where we go. It'll be exciting. I can't wait to find out what I'm reading next. Anyway, we're going to wrap up this episode of Tech Stuff. We've got another one we have to cram in here in the studio before we get kicked out. So what I'd like to do is to invite all of our listeners to submit their ideas for topics that we should tackle in the future. You can let us know in email. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. Chris and I will talk to you again really soon.
1: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.